0: We'll be looking at the next uh, several visions in the book of Zechariah and I'd like you to uh, follow as I read Zechariah chapter 1 uh, verses 18 through 21 through the end of chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 18. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw and behold there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then Yahweh showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to cause them to tremble, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Then I lifted up my eyes, and saw, and behold, there was a man with a measuring cord in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. And he said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls, because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Indeed, I, declares Yahweh, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho, there, flee from the land of the north, declares Yahweh, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of heavens, declares Yahweh. Ho, Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon, for thus says Yahweh of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations which you have taken as spoil, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be spoiled for their slaves. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst declares Yahweh and many nations will join themselves to Yahweh in that day and will become my people then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you then Yahweh will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem be silent all flesh before Yahweh for he is aroused from his holy habitation Well, let's pray and then we'll look At the text. Our Heavenly Father, we do need the aid of your Spirit each and every time we open up your Word. We ask once again that that would be granted to us, uh, that our understandings might uh, be open to see your glory and to see uh, your words and the truths that you have for us this evening. In Jesus name, Amen. So we come to the vision of the horns uh, and the the craftsmen and the Uh, formula there is uh, uh, similar. Uh, Zechariah says, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and from the uh, introduction of the book, we saw that this is uh, repeated uh, a number of times. Uh, The first vision, it was in the night, and he looked and he saw a vision in the night, and uh, from then on it seems like this uh, is repeated. I lifted my eyes and saw. And what he saw was four horns, and uh, horns are symbols of uh, military strength, power, kingdoms, kings. They, uh, they uh, are repeatedly have that image in, uh, in the scriptures. Uh, pictures of horns in Daniel chapter 7, pictures of horns in Revelation. Uh, horns uh, come out of uh, everywhere, and one horn gets big, and uh, the horns are everywhere in these, uh, in these books, the visionary books. Uh, But they represent military power. That's what we're going to see. So we're looking at a common sign of power in the animal kingdom. You don't mess with a bull. You stay away from its horns. You stay away from a rhinoceros' horns. You stay away from an elephant's tux. It's just a, a common sign of power in the animal kingdom that's transferred to visions of kings or military power. And they are specifically told, uh, if you'll notice, to be that the horns specifically uh, are told that they are the, that which have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. So the question comes, well, well what are they? Uh, they're specific uh, nations. Uh, the four horns generally means northeast, southwest. They come from everywhere. And uh, as uh, we've studied and as we've, we've looked, uh, the the, um, the commentators enumerate all these places where they could have come from, uh, and it's quite a list: Syria, Assyria, Babylon, Edom, Egypt, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Edomites. And basically, the, what uh, what writers have done and what they've seen is said, here's here's Israel, and there are all the enemies that are all around them, uh, everywhere, and that has always been true. Uh, Theodore Bezae and Luther make Pictures of uh, Israel and the church. Uh, Bizet says the church is always hung by a thread in, in the midst of all her enemies. And uh, Luther says it's like taking a young maiden, leaving her out in the woods all by herself without defense, in, in, in the midst of wild animals and things like that. Uh, Israel and the church ha- have always had enemies. Some try to say, well, th- it had to be four because it's, say, in north, south, east, and west. Uh, other, other commentators just say it's all of the, the enemies that, that Israel always had uh, enemies. And um, uh, then there is uh, uh, that question. He, he speaks to the angel who talked with me. What are these? These are the horns that have scattered them. They, they, they scattered the entire nation. And then uh, come the craftsmen. Uh, he, Yahweh showed me Not, he lifted up his eyes, but Yahweh showed me uh, four uh, craftsmen. And Yahweh specifically reveals his plan uh, for his uh, people's enemies. And uh, and, uh, Zechariah again asks a question. He says, well, what are these coming to do? Who are the horns? And now who are the craftsmen? What are they coming to do? And uh, in Yahweh's answer, he shows both groups, First of all, the scattering horns. These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. It's interesting here that only Judah is mentioned and it also is a picture of total humiliation. These nations came, they took over uh, Judah and no one raised their head. Everybody was ashamed. But look at what the craftsmen do. They terrify and cast down Uh, the enemies. The purpose, these have come to terrify and to cast down. So you have all these nations or opponents and you have these four craftsmen who come and they terrify and cast down uh, all the opponents. Many opponents will be thwarted and uh, this really doesn't speak of anything but uh, uh, the the gospel age. there's, there's, no, there's no four craftsmen or four carpenters in the history of, of Israel that come out of some place and, uh, and, and attack. Uh, they, they actually cause terror. And it's interesting, last week in our uh, study in Revelation, we read a passage where people were terrified about the, uh, uh, the witnesses. After the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. So here's the persecuted church, and the the people think, well, we got rid of the church. Well, no, the church rises up again. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and the enemies watched them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God. You, you know there's times where uh, somebody s- speaks and the, and the other person is afraid of, uh, of what they say. Uh, Paul says the gospel casts down spiritual strongholds and all that is opposed to God. It was never fulfilled in a battle, and in history it never will be. But these craftsmen uh, are uh, uh, pictures. Think of the size Think of the size comparison. All the nations that were Israel's enemies against four craftsmen. The four craftsmen have to have something very strong. Well, the only thing that's that strong is the gospel. They didn't have a new kind of machine gun. They didn't have a new kind of a battle tank or anything like that. It demonstrates God's power to overcome the nations with the gospel. There are still guesses at who the craftsmen are. We have four people in our study of Haggai and uh, Zechariah. So some people say the four craftsmen are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel and Joshua, the, the, uh, the governor, the priest, and the, the two builders. Uh, others say it's the picture of the gospel ministry because the enemies came from north, south, east, and west. They came from the four corners, and where is the gospel going to go? The gospel is going to go back out uh, to four corners and, and have an uh, effect. Uh, others have mentioned it's, its preachers and evangelists, its, it's workers who do small things but have a, a great effect. Uh, uh, Jesus said that in his ministry. The, the, give a cup of cold water. Give somebody your cloak. You, you show Christian things and, and it expands. It, uh, it promotes the, the uh, kingdom. And uh, if we remember in physical history, the Greeks come next. And then the Romans come next. These craftsmen, these craftsmen, aren't related to getting rid of all the enemies for all time, but they're, they are connected with the gospel. Greek domination, Roman domination, and then and then the city and the temple is destroyed. And the, these craftsmen certainly seem to me, uh, as you can tell, that, that they work through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the the rest of the uh, the vision and the, and the measuring line will show us that, that you don't need physical walls. But uh, God will be in the midst and God will be the glory. And here, here God's saying, My, all these enemies have come on these people. But I'm going to use small things. Craftsmen, just four people who are called craftsmen or carpenters. And they will terrify and overcome uh, all those others. And then we come to uh, chapter 2. This is the vision of the measuring line, and this is structured differently. This is structured differently because it really covers the entirety of chapter two. So there is a vision and then exhortations that cover the whole chapter. The vision is in uh, in, uh, verses one through five, and then there's uh, three commands in verses six, in verse seven, in verse 13 so the vision is seen and explained and then verse 6 says get up flee from the land of the north uh, verse says se- verse 7 says get up or or how escape to Zion and then verse 13 says be silent all flesh uh, the urgency is expressed to respond uh, to those commands so now the vision in verses uh, one, through five, another interesting thing. Uh, Here, Zechariah says the same thing. I lifted up my eyes and saw. He saw a man with a measuring line or cord in his hand. So you're you're carrying the cord from one place to another. You're not carrying it like this. You're leaving it one place and measuring out to another place. And and that's what he's doing, that's who he sees. And then comes the, the typical thing, but he asks, he doesn't ask the angel who talks to him. There's some differences here. He asks the guy with the measuring line. And he says, where are you going? Where are you going? He says, I'm going to measure Jerusalem and see how wide it is and how long it is. And that's what that's what he sees. The measuring quarter or the, or the line is spoken in positive ways in chapter 1 and verse 16. The measuring line is stretched out over Jerusalem. God says he 's going to stretch it out over Jerusalem, uh, talking about the expansion we'll'll we 'll we'll see that expansion in this in this section uh, it 's two connected visions with the focus on Jerusalem and what 's going to happen to Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah, in many ways, you could say has a lot to say uh, about Jerusalem. so the man with the measuring line and uh, we, we end up with uh, different discussions and questions about his identities. Some people say, it's Christ, it's the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. And uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, we already have seen the angel of the Lord, and he's called the angel of the Lord. And he receives the report from those who uh, have gone around the face of the earth, and then he says, these have gone around the face of the earth, he tells the angel, and then he prays, and his prayer is answered and, and uh and that's the situation there. Uh, the, one of the commentators says this has to be Christ because Christ is set forth, forth as the architect and, and master builder. And and uh, if you look at Hebrews, that's true. The, the patriarchs were, look, were looking to God as the architect and the builder of, of, uh, of a city that they were going to go to, not a physical city. Uh, then others say the man is the angel of the Lord because sometimes... God says an angel is a man, and uh, I like that less than the other two, but men are called angels, they say, and angels come in the form of men, so that's probably who it is. If we looked at uh, Ezekiel 40 uh, and verse 3, there's a a person that comes and he walks Ezekiel through it, and he's just like a basic guy, and he takes them all, and uh, it would be interesting for you if you can get a hold of an ESV study Bible at the end of all that measuring, they actually have a picture of what it looked like and, and the, the, the scale dimensions of uh, what Ezekiel um, measures out. But, but I think that this is just a vision of a man personally. There's no distinctions that are made. And Zechariah seems in all his visions to know who he's seeing. He knows the angel who talks to him, he has mentioned the angel of the Lord before. And in other visions, he'll clearly see the characters that are there. So this man, uh, I can't say I think it's Christ or I think it's this or that. I think it's just a man. He just sees a man measuring, measuring things. He knows in all the visions who the people are. There's a horseman. He's with other horsemen. There's the angel of the Lord. Here's the angel who talks to me. And that's what he says. Here's these horns. I see the horns. What are the horns? God tells him. He knows. God told me. The result of the vision is that there's really no need to measure because it says Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. It's interesting to think about that because it's going to expand that's the point why are you measuring when you don't need to measure now this man goes his way never to be never to be seen again he's just seen with the measuring thing he says i'm running around to measure everything and he's gone Uh, some of the people that say it's the angel of uh, of yahweh uh, they say, "Well, the angel of Yahweh just disappeared in the in the first vision, also." But I don't think that's that fits exactly, because he described the writers, he received the report, and he prayed. He he really did things that the angel of the Lord would do. This man just says, "I got this line. I'm measuring how wide, how long." So, so then there's an interaction between the angel who is speaking with Zechariah. And another angel just just comes up, notice verses uh, three through five here's here 's a reason that uh, that I think it's just a man because now he sees another angel, and behold the angel who was speaking to me was going out he was going forward, and another angel was coming out to meet him. Now he knows they 're both angels so the uh, the one comes to to meet, and then verse four. There's directions giving from the other angel who tells the angel who was speaking to me, run and speak to that man. Uh, Now, we have to talk about who's that man. So there's two views. It's run and go get the guy who's measuring. Right? Tell him to stop. Jerusalem is going to be inhabited without walls. You don't need to mention. You don't need to measure wide and long. You, you don't need to. Catch up with him. Go as fast as you can and, and tell him, don't do it. There's a contrast of physical and spiritual uh, future of Jerusalem here. That's, that's, what, um, that's what the prophecy of Zechariah is bristling with. Right? There's a new Jerusalem coming, isn't there? Uh, uh, something is going to happen eventually with Jerusalem. It's, it's just full of it. It's, it's electric with this. It's just, what, what's God doing? What's God doing? It's going to expand. How is, it, how is he going to be in the midst? How is he going to be the glory? What's going to happen with Jerusalem? Well, we'll see some passages that tell us. So it's either this young man, and he's got this measuring line, and off he goes, and the angel tells the angel who was talking to Zechariah, go get him. Tell him to stop. Or he says to Zechariah, run and tell that young man. Zachariah is a young man tell that young man the angel who's speaking to me and Zechariah is told to hurry and tell what to prophesy about Jerusalem so we either tell the young man to stop measuring or tell Zechariah quickly this is what this is what's going to happen with Jerusalem we're not going to need to measure so Yahweh's de- declarations concerning Jerusalem uh, come next in, in verse uh, 4, and verse 5. And this is, uh, this is what God is going to do. Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Indeed, I, declares Yahweh, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. So it's going to be inhabited, but without walls, and God is going to be the fire a wall around there. See, you don't need to, you don't need to measure you don't need to measure physically it's going to be a spiritual manifestation and we'll just we'll just mention these first things and then and then we'll go over because we'll, we'll see what Jerusalem becomes so four things no walls, a multitude of men and cattle, a wall of fire all around that God will be himself and he will also be the glory in the midst so those are those are the four things we' hope to uh, 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 get to in the meantime the declaration of Yahweh points to the future and a new Jerusalem. And it's a glorious future and it's an important part of the believer's hope. When we think about the walls, when we think about the walls, what is going to happen in the next, in history, in the next couple of years? Nehemiah is going to be dispatched to build the walls of Jerusalem, to build physical walls. Well, how can it be inhabited without walls if walls are going to be built? It's not talking about a physical. He's talking about a spiritual manifestation. There's a glorious future for Jerusalem. And the glorious future for Jerusalem is an important part of the believer's hope. Because you and I someday are going to live in Jerusalem. Do you know that? Well, I'm not moving over there. No, you will. Hebrews 12, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what we come to. You remember, we studied that with, with Haggai. And to the myriad of angels, etc., etc., etc. What cetera. What do we come to? We come to God's final purpose about Jerusalem. And it's a heavenly Jerusalem. And that's what we come to, spiritual things. There's no walls in the new Jerusalem. And God protects it. Revelation 3.12, a a comfort to one of the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. That's important. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. It's his purpose. It's his plan. And and a new name. So if you overcome, where are you going to go to live? You're going to go to the New Jerusalem. There's going to be names written all over you. But you're going to live in the New Jerusalem. Revelation 22, and, or 21 and verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem again, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Where are you going to live? I'm going to live in the New Jerusalem with Christ. I'm going to live in the New Jerusalem with God, with Yahweh. Because his purposes aren't about walls and a physical temple. His purpose is to take all his people to heaven and to be with him forever. And the picture is the new Jerusalem. The Spirit in John chapter 21, just a few verses later, carries him away to a great and high mountain. And he shows me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He sees it one way, then he's taken onto a a mountain, and he sees it a whole other way, and here comes this city. Well, that's what's going to happen to it. That's what Jerusalem is going to be. Zion and Jerusalem are spiritually manifested in the New Testament. We've talked about it before. The disciples said, look at these beautiful buildings and these stones. And Jesus said, these stones are not even going to be laying on top of one another he says i'll tell you what's going to happen in 3 days i'm going to tear this down and i'm going to build it up that's what's going to happen the resurrected christ the resurrected christ is my hope not a busy, not a building not a temple the resurrected christ the city with no walls that comes down out of heaven for god and the bride and the and the bride you remember that, don't you? What a day! You're standing there up at the altar, and here comes your bride, the, the, this woman that you love, this woman that has your heart, and she's walking there, and you can't even you can't even hold it in. You're like, look at her, she's so beautiful. That's what's going to happen. The the bride and the bridegroom are going to be brought to get brought together. Everybody's going to be in the the new Jerusalem. Oh, you say, well, that sounds like pie in the sky. That sounds too fanciful. No, that's God's plan for his people. Amen. All Christians hope is spiritual hope for a spiritual inheritance prepared by God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for a series of occurrences to physically happen before this. That That is, that is what it is. The patriarchs uh, understood this. Uh, I've Receive the accusation sometimes that, uh, that uh, oh, you you don't think the you don't think the land is important. You don't think Israel's going to have the land. You're going against the promises that God gave to Abraham. I'll say, well, no, I'm not, because Abraham didn't want the land. The patriarchs didn't want the land. They weren't. They weren't like, oh, great, look at this oak at Mamre. This is really nice. Look at this well. But now they aspire to a better country, Hebrews eleven sixteen. 16. That is a heavenly one. Where did they want to go? They didn't want to park. Oh, it was a nice place for my tent. I buried Sarah here. I, I, got, I might as well stay by this place, Machpelah. I want to stay here. No, they, they saw, saw, saw. Yes. But now they aspire to a better one. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. God is ashamed of people who can only look at worldly things and things on the earth. That's the point. If they were stuck on looking at physical things, they wouldn't have made it. Because God is ashamed of those people. But he's not ashamed of somebody who says, I believe your promises. I see them from afar off. I don't even know anything about Jesus the Messiah. I just know what you said, God. And I'm looking for a heavenly city. Not earthly, not physical. What is it? God built it. He prepared the new Jerusalem. And as we saw, he will bring it down out of heaven. It is all from God. The declarations are are continued because it's very similar to the first vision. Yahweh's promises of prosperity, protection, and glory have Jerusalem as their object. But it's not going to have walls, and there's going to be a fire all around it. No walls. That's interesting. I mentioned it already. Nehemiah is going to come and build walls, and the Romans are going to knock all the walls down. And they're not going to knock the whole temple down. And it's never going to be put up again. No walls. You can't, you can't have walls, God says, because of the multitude of men and cattle that are going to be there. And that is the number of people that 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 are that you can't count. That's the church. As a village without walls. People won't come to the old Jerusalem and fill it like a crowded city like a like a subway in Tokyo where they they push you into the thing and you you stand face like this. There's not going to be any walls. It's going to expand. Barnes says, wonderfully, does it picture the gradual expansion of the kingdom of Christ. Without bound or limit, whose protection and glory God is, and he is the character of its defenses. He takes takes care of the whole thing. Uh, The cattle imagery just supports the picture. You have people, you have cattle. That's a picture of their time. Cattle take up a lot of room. Cattle need a lot of resources. Abraham and Lot, why did they separate? The land could not support both of them dwelling together, the scripture says. you got too many sheep. you got too much cattle. They're eating all the food. They're eating all the water. Well, you do too. Well, we got to separate. I get to go so mine have enough. You get to go so you have, have enough. Genesis 36, 6 and 7. Jacob and Esau, they finally meet. And it says, it was too great for them to dwell together. The same problem. There's too many cattle around here. Well, that's the picture. We're not waiting to only can be fulfilled when cattle are all over the place in Israel. It's the picture. Isaac had the same problem. Genesis 26. There's gonna be just people and cattle all over the place. That's the picture, imagine that. So many cattle, you have to separate, move. It's just expanding, expanding, expanding. And then Yahweh will be a wall of fire all around, he says. And fire is the ultimate picture of protection and the ultimate picture uh, of fear. Protection, in Genesis three twenty four. The angel is put there with a sword of fire that, that faces all around. Nobody's coming in this garden anymore. Second uh, Kings 4.17, Elisha's servant is afraid. And Elisha says, look there. There's ch- chariots of fire. I'm not going near a chariot of fire. It shows the protection. God protected his people with a, a pillar of fire. But it's not only protection, a, a fire is a caution. It would cause fear. God says of his angel, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a, a flame of fire. And he says in two places, he's a consuming fire. You, you do not voluntarily expose yourself to fire ever. used to have those protesters and stuff, right? They would set themselves on fire. They thought they were gaining something. But God says, I'm going to be a a fire around So if you picture the spiritual city, the New Jerusalem, with a ring of fire around it, you're not going to go. You're not going to go there. You're not going to attack. You're not going to walk through fire. People aren't going to come and say, well, you go first. We'll see if you make it through the fire. God is going to protect it. God is going to be like a ring of fire, a wall of fire. We, the, all the pictures of Revelation come back, don't they? He's going to protect his people. He's going to protect his people. And then he says, I will be the glory in the midst. The, the prophecies before said that the glory of the temple is being greater now than it ever was because God is going to be there. That was the point in Haggai. He, he's exhorting them. Build a temple. I want to get back there. I want to get into the temple. I want to worship when, when they finally get it built and they, and they celebrate, it says Yahweh caused them to have joy. They rejoiced. They saw the purpose. I mentioned that this morning in the introduction of Haggai, we need to worship God. It's appropriate for us to do it. A, a person who's not a worshiper of God, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. God's ashamed of those kind of people. It's appropriate for us. It's right for us to say, bless the Lord. Look at all he's done for me. He he brings his glory. There's both ideas in Isaiah uh, uh, 4, verse 5. It's one of those branch passages. But God's glory is going to be that. Jesus brought his glory, the glory of his person, and and the fire of his zeal into the the temple and uh, uh, cleansed it. And God's uh, final purposes and his eternal glory are displayed Uh, Isaiah 60 and and verse 19 is, is just the same as passages in Revelation. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you its light, but you will have Yahweh for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Who's my glory? Who's the glory of everything? The Lord Jesus Christ and God himself. Revelation 21 and verse 11. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like precious stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. The place where uh, uh, John saw, verse 23. Here's the same as Isaiah. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp and and its lamb and the lamb is uh, the lamp. Uh, God and Yahweh's aim is to gather a great number of people to himself and, and demonstrate his glory. All the while, he protects them and keeps them and watches over them. But then we come to the uh, first of the three exhortations. And the one writer says, it It, it kind of just goes into a a... a a typical prophecy, but it's it 's all spilling out from the vision of the measuring line it 's all connected to the glory and and god protecting it's it 's all god saying this this is what I want you to do. this is what you should do. Three oracles, three exhortations, and then there are applications about yahweh 's uh, words and, and works. Uh, the first exhortation. Uh, says, "Ho there!" Or "Ho, Zion!" In in verse six and verse seven, uh, it it says. It it says, uh, "Flee from the land of the north, for I have dispersed you as the four winds uh, of heaven," declares the Lord. So, the four horns they came from the four corners of the earth. There's four winds of heaven. That's where God sent his people. Uh, you remember conquering nations used to just take people and disperse them and put them all over the place. You, you, they'd, they'd bring them into your neighborhood and they'd tell, they'd tell you that's not your house anymore. And they'd tell somebody else, here, you live here. Well, this is not my house. It is now. And you, you're coming with us. We'll take you 500 miles away and stick you someplace where you don't know. So he says, flee, get away run, get out, and get out of the land of the north. And uh, there's, not, there's not a discussion uh, about the ho and the woe and, and hey, and it, it, it's just, it's just some, some small Hebrew words that just try to get your attention. But I, I didn't see any discussion about it, that, that what would they would bring to the emphasis. But obviously, he's saying, stop what you're doing. Take, take notice. And get out of there. Uh, it, it, it's underscored twice, declares Yahweh. Uh, so be sure, uh, be sure to obey, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens. Uh, two exiles of the nation, the northern kingdom was taken away, the southern kingdom, a, and they were spread out to all these places. Uh, and now, restoration of the temple, the city, and the, uh, the people is in view. I've spread you all over the place, uh, uh, God says, but, but I want you to uh, re- return. I want you to flee uh, from the land. And then the second one in verse 7, this will go all the way to verse 12. We'll just finish with this. The exhortation concerning Babylon. Escape, get out. He says you're living with the daughter of Babylon. Once again, directly connected with Revelation. Babylon becomes the picture of all evil and and everything that's bad. A picture of the world, a picture of worldly influences, a picture of idolatry. Trapp says, Is Babylon a fit place for you to stay? What comfort can you take in such lewd company? The scripture in... uh... Uh, In in Acts, as with many other words, uh, Peter, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. What is going to take you down in your Christian life if you're too close to the generation? If you're too close to the world, God's not ashamed of people that say, "I'm, I'm going, I'm a sojourner, I'm going out of here. It's been nice to be married for 45 years. I love my grandchildren, but I get a place that I really want to go. Paul says, it's far better for me to go there. Far better. Oh, don't you want to see your grandkids get married? Don't you want to see it? Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff I'd like to see. But what's in my heart? I want to see the Savior. I want to bow down and, and sing those songs. I want to say hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reigns i want to say to blessed be the lamb you see that's that's the idea get out of babylon save yourself from it first corinthians uh 15 33 do not be deceived bad company ruins good morals Uh, the mention of babylon and and it says the daughter of babylon you're not, you're not with a country, you're with the daughter of Babylon, right? That's everybody associated. The true character of Babylon is revealed. We'll, we'll finish by just looking at these passages in Revelation. We'll start with Revelation 14:8, Just to underscore uh, the connection and to underscore what's going to happen and who Babylon is. Revelation 14:8. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. Get out of there. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 19. And the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the wrath of his rage. That's what's going to happen. That's what she is, immorality personified, and that's what's going to happen. Judgment chapter 17 and verse 5 of Revelation. And on her forehead a name was written, Babylon, the great mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And you're living with a sister of Babylon. Get out of there. Get away from there. Then I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. That's the idea. The only thing they're going to do is to hate God's people. The only thing they're going to do is to oppose God's people. We're Babylon the Great. We know how to do things. We control the economy. We control nations. We control your thoughts. And our goal is to make you a drunken idolater every day of the week. That's the idea. But God is not going to let that happen. Chapter 18 and verse 2. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, notice, here's the cycle. Revelation has cycles. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean bird and a prison of every unclean and hateful beast. How could you describe anything more terrifying and and horrible than that? 18.10 and then 21 and then we're done. Chapter 18.10, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Whoa! woe the great city babylon the strong city for in 1 hour your judgment has come that's all the time that god could could take even an hour is too long but but they say that it to only took an hour the whole system of the world the whole system of idolatry and immorality just gets destroyed in in 1 hour get out of there you're in there with the daughter of zion you shouldn't be there get away that's the the purpose and the, the final verse before we close then a strong angel picked up uh, verse 21 then a strong angel picked up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea the, the sea is always like this swirling thing of, of evil and stuff saying so will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer and brethren our goal is to persevere under all things and get to heaven and get away from Babylon. let's pray. our Father, we're thankful for the book of Zechariah. We're thankful that we know that your purposes are spiritual purposes, and that your your goal and your desire is to spiritually encourage your people with the hope of heaven and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name, we pray, Amen.